0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's
1: going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop
2: them.
1: Have you gotten Ronald yet? Welcome into the Diamond Balls podcast on goballs 247com I am Ben McKee, joined by the one, the only Wes Rucker, and also the one and only former Tennessee pitcher, Will Heflin. Gentlemen, it has arrived. The College World Series is here. Tennessee plays LSU on Saturday night. It's it's as big as it gets, and I, I know you all are as as fired up as, as I am to, to get Saturday night here and, and rolling.
0: For sure, yeah. I actually need to uh, finish packing right after we get done with this. <laughs> I got to do this, got to record one more thing uh, with someone else, and then hopefully uh, can get packed before I got to go to the airport. So, yeah, getting into getting into Omaha around midnight or 11 p.m. or so. Uh, I guess midnight Central and uh, ready to rock.
2: I'm doing good as well. I'm actually headed back to Lake Point down close to Atlanta for another one of those AAU tournaments, the same spot that I was at when the Vols beat Clemson in the regional, I guess, beat Charlotte as well. Um, So, you know, baseball guys are a little bit superstitious, so I can't say that I'm, you know, not at least taking that into account as we play LSU tomorrow. It also wouldn't surprise me if the Vols are wearing uh, those black jerseys again. Um, But, yeah, all is good. I'm excited
1: yeah it, it it's gonna be a, a fun weekend uh, that that matchup is brand names is is as good as it gets. I, I know Tennessee's a little newer to the college baseball landscape uh, compared to LSU. Uh, but still, just in general, in terms of the amount of people that love Tennessee and the amount of people that love LSU, I mean that that matchup brand name wise on on Saturday night is is as good as it gets. And I imagine ESPN is licking its chops thinking about the number that 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 game is going to draw. Uh, on on top of you know not not just the brand names, but obviously you have Paul Skeens going LSU baseball is LSU baseball and uh, Tennessee baseball. They're the villains of the sport. So they're they're gonna draw the the hate watchers <laughs> as well uh and, and drive up that ESPN number. And uh it, it should be a, a really, really fun a baseball game. That that game against Paul Skeens and LSU back in, I guess it was March, early April, uh it, it was a close one with, with Skeens on the mound. And it, it's one that Tennessee to a certain extent let it slip away late in that baseball game. I, I wonder, and, and we'll start here because obviously that's the first thing that everybody's talking about is Paul Skeens, Paul Skeens, Paul Skeens, and, and rightfully so. He He's as dominant of a college pitcher as I, I've ever seen. Uh, he, he just is absolutely ridiculous in, in so many ways. He, he's an absolute specimen on the mound. I wonder from your vantage point, Will, what advantages Tennessee may have in the fact that They've already faced him once this season, and, and that they're not going up against this mythical creature uh, for for the first time. I, I'm I'm sure Paul Skeens also has some advantages in, in having already seen uh, Tennessee's lineup now, uh, and I'll I can go back and look at exactly what the lineup was uh, what, while you all are are talking because it may have been a, a significantly different lineup than than what we'll probably see on Saturday night, but. Uh, I'm sure Tennessee has some advantages in, in facing Skeens again, uh, and and already, you know there won't be a level of newness. I guess uh, like uh, like if a Wake Forest or or Stanford were playing him, I mean that that's a totally different ballgame in in my opinion facing him for the first time. But I'm also sure LSU and, and Skeens has some advantages as well. Yeah,
2: I think anytime you you face somebody. Uh, multiple times, then it, it gives the hitter a bit of an advantage because they get to see um, the spin on the breaking ball and kind of have an idea for the giddy-up on the fastball, which is obviously top, cla- top of the class with skeins. Um, so that familiarity will help us some, but he's also sharper than he was earlier in this, in the season. He's been throwing well as of late. Um, but same goes for, for the Tennessee lineup. It, it's you know much more much more consistent and um, should be able to put more pressure on anybody regardless of who's on the mound as opposed to then. But I do agree with you in that if he was this mythical creature that we hadn't seen before, then it may feel a little bit more overwhelming. I've actually kind of changed my my strategy or, or thought plan uh, throughout the week, and it actually came from uh, my better half, the Mrs. Heflin, I'll give Erica a shout out here. She She's just playing in simple. We were talking about the game uh, last night at dinner, and she was like, we just got to hit the dang ball, Bert. You know, kind of like blindside. Just run the dang ball, Bert. I was saying battle, try to get his pitch count up. You know, that classic train of thought when you're facing a good pitcher is just try to get him out of the game as quick as possible. I don't think that that's a good strategy anymore because – Let's say even if you even if you have three longer at bats, say they're five to seven pitch at bats, if you go three up, three down, he's still under twenty for the inning. And he's gonna throw six, seven, eight on you if you don't provide pressure. I think you just gotta go right at him, put your best with his best and hope that you can get to him. And I think this time of year, that's the that's the only, you know, approach that you can have. And a lot of times, especially with a good pitcher like that, you're only going to get one max two hittable pitches um, to do damage on. So I think, you know, we got to cut it loose and kind of take the mentality of of we're the underdog, we have nothing to lose, and go right at the guy and see if you can get to him and maybe create some higher stress pitches so that he doesn't cruise, you know, because he can go 115, 120 if they're low stress. So that it really doesn't do you any good to get his pitch count up. In my opinion,
0: yeah, I agree with that. I I don't think that. I think if you're hunting fastball early in that bat, and you get one, and you you think you got a chance to do something with it, do something with it, you know. And and when he's throwing that hard, you don't really have to yank the thing. Just 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 go and put a good good swing on it. And no matter which part of the field it's going to, it's going there with pace. Like if you get a good barrel on it, and and so. I think it's interesting. I think Kentucky, I don't know if Kentucky was the first team. I imagine it was uh, maybe that he faced twice this season. I'm not sure what they did in Atlanta. But against Kentucky in the regular season, he had probably, you know, his worst outing of the regular season against Kentucky. Now they were up a lot early and he was just throwing strikes and it happens. But his second time against Kentucky, he just shoved it and was way better. Now Tennessee's lineup is obviously better than Kentucky's. We all know that. But um, but, you know, it's not like he was completely untouchable the last time Tennessee played him. Tennessee was right there in that game. I think it was actually as well as South Halverson pitched out of the pen, and he was fantastic out of the pen in that game. He, I think he had the error early in the inning, and then there was a play maybe Scott could have made. So they had two chances to get out of that eighth inning with two outs, or that game maybe goes into extra innings um, before that thing in the eighth. So I, I think – um, not not that any of that matters now, but I, I think it does add some context to the fact that the second time Skeen's faced a team this season, he was better against than the second time, and he's pitching at a high level right now. So that just sort of makes me think you double down on the approach, which is it doesn't matter. LSU is going to throw him until he is no longer effective. I don't think pitch count even really matters in Omaha. Like, uh, if they're up a lot early – then maybe they could. They would consider, or if they're down a lot early, they might consider making a change to get him in a game later. You know, quicker going forward if they need him. Um, but I, I think pitch count almost really doesn't matter in this game. If you see a fastball you can handle, if he's trying to, if he's establishing the fact that he's going to attack, attack, attack with fastball, these guys can hit velocity they face it and fall they face it in practice they can turn up a jugs machine you know that they can they, they can hit velocity so if, if he's sitting on a fastball early go you know go after one go after one and see see what you can do with it and if you can put pressure on him like will said make him throw a pressure pitch which is it's hard to count pitch counts because there are pressure pitches and there are non pressure pitches and that's what that, that's to me what was so impressive about the way that um in, in Tennessee's most recent game, the, the what Beam did. Because Beam had to throw a lot of pressure pitches and still got his pitch count up there and did did really well. But that also maybe made him get out of the game 10, 15 pitches earlier than he normally would have. So get to him early if you can. Uh, if you get a fastball at the belt early on or at the knees, take a hack and try to ride it somewhere.
1: And, and the lineup was pretty much, pretty much consisted of the guys that we see in the lineup now. It was just a different order in that game. You had Maui leading off. You had Simo batting second, Blake Burke third, Zane Denton fourth, Jared Dickey fifth. Hunter Inslee was batting sixth. Uh, Dylan Dryling got the start at DH, and he was hitting seventh. Uh, Griffin Merritt was playing in the outfield back then, batting eighth and playing left field, and and that's when he was still kind of going through it. Uh, He was 0 for 3 with three strikeouts uh, against Skeens before being pinch hit for uh, by cavarish tears, and and then you had Christian Scott in right field, and and I mean that was a game. And look, baseball's weird. It was a couple of months ago, but that was a game that Tennessee was absolutely in uh, for the entire game, and until that bottom of the eighth inning. And West, I, I think it was like the Seth Halverson botched ground ball throw, yep. or not the, catching that would the have ball. been
0: the, that would have been the third out.
1: Yes, but also, I, if I remember correctly, maybe Christian Moore. Yeah. Tried to tag a runner when he probably could have just gotten the, the out at first, and, yeah. and and instead of going for the double play, and that's after Christian Moore in the top of the eighth inning had just hit an RBI single to to give uh, to tie the game uh, because Christian Scott gave Tennessee the lead in the fifth, one nothing on an RBI single, and then Gavin Dugas hit a or Dugas uh, hit a two run homer in the bottom of the fifth to give LSU mm-hmm. a, a two one lead. Uh, And then Tennessee finally gets Skeens out of the, out of the game. And and then in the eighth, SEMO hit an RBI single to tie it. And then in the bottom of the eighth, that's when all the errors occurred. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bases were juiced and like everybody tweeted at the time. Well, once the bases were juiced after those couple of errors, you you knew what was about to happen. And Jordan Thompson uh, hit a a basis clearing double uh, to, to right center to, to kind of seal the deal uh, for LSU. Uh, So, I think this Tennessee team should have a, a, a ton of confidence going into this one. Uh, again, it's it was months ago. Uh, the The teams are different, but will I, I think for Tennessee? Tennessee is different in a way that can be beneficial for this one game, rather than LSU is is better than it was a couple of months ago. For a two of three series or a, a regular weekend series. Like what where LSU is better is the back end of the, their, their pitching staff. And like, yeah, that, that affects Tennessee because of the bullpen and, and whatnot. But the, the starting rotation has seemingly gotten better the last couple of weeks for LSU. But Tennessee's not going to face the the rest of the rotation for LSU this week, whereas or in this game, whereas Tennessee they've gotten better all over the field. They're, they're not making those defensive mistakes that cost them in that first game. Uh, Chase Dolander, who was kind of – he wasn't bad against LSU, but he also wasn't he, – He's looked better of late, uh, better than he did in that LSU game. Uh, and, and then the offense is is swinging the bat better as well. So, you know, I think LSU is still rightfully the favorite to, to win this game. I I do think Tennessee is properly the underdog, which I I think can be a great thing. Like you said, Will, you've kind of got nothing to lose. Just go out there and, and, you know, take it right to them. Um, But I, I do think maybe the margin between LSU and Tennessee is a little bit smaller than people probably realize just because how Tennessee has progressed. Like Tennessee is truly a different team than the one that played in Baton Rouge when Paul Skeens pitched on, I believe it was March 31st.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And actually the um the typical Paul Keens Day line for LSU is well above the minus two hundred range. Um and they're they're kind of hovering around minus one ninety to minus two ten on some books, whereas Tennessee's a a plus one sixty to plus one eighty. Um underdogs. so it's actually a, a little bit tighter of a line than we're used to seeing on day one because LSU is is undeniably just a totally different team when when Paul Skeens pitches. Um, but this game's also not at Alex Box, so we do have that going for us. Um, that's an extremely tough place to play. The uh, the history, like you mentioned, with LSU being a, a they're kind of deprogrammed um, history wise in college baseball because of Skip Bartman and the success that he had there building that stadium and, and really kind of jumpstarting the popularity of college baseball. With that being said, the ticket prices for this game compared to like today's two o'clock game are insane. I heard uh Wilkerson and, and Vince talking this morning and he was saying like the premium seating for that seven o'clock game tomorrow is like 1200 bucks a seat. And that's, that's awesome. I know it, I know it stings for somebody who's really wanting to go, you know, get a great seat and has to pay that price, but just the, just the hype around the game, that's what you want to be involved in as a, as a competitor. Um, and then from the fan side of things, it is kind of cool to know that everybody's going to be watching the same game that you're rooting for. Um, so it's a great opportunity. And like we said earlier, I think I just really don't think the other team matters for this team. This team can beat anyone and they can lose to anyone. And whether it's LSU, whether it's Southern Miss, whether it's East Tennessee State, Oral Roberts, you name it, if we play the way we're capable, we win. And if we give out handouts, we lose. And, you know, I think that's kind of the, the – part of our team that makes you feel good, but it's also the part that makes everybody feel a little bit uncomfortable every time because you just truly never know um what you're gonna get, what you're gonna get. But that's part partly the sport. And part of that is because of last year how you just steamroll everybody. And so you kinda expect that to carry over. And, you know, they've certainly had their struggles this year, but I just think it's been more more of a traditional baseball season where you ride those ups and downs. But they've obviously um, used it to their benefit to get to this point and have themselves playing the best at the right time.
0: You know, one thing th- about this game, there's actually many things about this game that are really interesting to me, but but one of them is the other pitcher in this game, uh, I think is a is a huge storyline because if I remember correctly, you know, Beam was pretty good against LSU on Sunday, but, like, Lindsey on Saturday may have been the best arm that Tennessee had in that series in Baton Rouge. I mean, I think he had... It he was. He threw about five innings, only allowed one run, maybe less than one... Out base. of the pen. Yeah, and, and, and threw, like, 65 pitches or something out of the pen was just brilliant to help them save the pen if needed for Game 3. Uh, and, and that was another one of those moments in the line of things that ended up making him uh the Friday night starter for Tennessee but was the performance that he had in the in the bullpen against LSU. And you, you know, so it'll be the second time LSU a lot of the guys in the lineup have seen Lindsay so they'll remember some things. But you know, Skeens is the one everybody's going to see. And, and, and as expensive as those tickets are, they'd be even more expensive. They'd be even more expensive if it was a Skeens Dolander matchup. But the fact that it's Lindsay Lindsay goes into this game with more to gain than any player from either team. You could make an exception. You, you could maybe say someone like Ahuna if he has another game against LSU that could help him a lot in the next little bit. Dickie, too. Um, there's guys that it could help them, but but Lindsay is the guy because he'll be out there going toe to toe against Skeens. You know he'll be a guy who. They might say, I'm sure the broadcasters will say, you know, we're all talking about the other pitcher in this game, but look at the numbers on this kid. Look at the velocity. Look at the spin rate. Yada, yada, yada. And scouts will be there out the wazoo for this. And Lindsay has a chance if he can just sort of avoid that pressure or if he's the guy who leans into pressure, lean into it. Whatever you need to do, whatever your personality type is like, he has a chance, assuming he's the guy and he should be, uh, to go out there and shove against this really, really dynamic LSU lineup and really, really make himself some more money in the coming weeks if he does that. Um, this is an opportunity for him to really push his name out there. And, and it's obviously all about Tennessee. It's about the team. Uh, but, you know, if you're a draft-eligible guy, it's about a lot more, too. And if you go in there in that environment, uh, that many people – that lineup, that opponent, that opposing pitcher—you go out there and shove, man. You're going to help yourself a lot, and I think that's something that's one of the more interesting storylines of this game.
1: It is, and I mean, we can talk about what Tennessee's offense might can do against Paul Skeens and 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 talk about the Paul Skeens matchup. But uh, to me, Will, I, I don't mean to put all the pressure on Andrew Lindsey. But Andrew Lindsey has to to give them a, a strong start. I I think that's key number one in this game. And I guess it's also possible if if he's a little shaky earlier in the game, then a, a Camden Sewell or Seth Halverson or Chase Burns could could come in and and calm the waters. But I, I think if if Tennessee wins this game, and I've kind of been repetitive in saying this the last couple of weeks, the the defense can't boot the ball around and the offense can't go ice cold and, and the pitching staff has to lead the way. But to me, that, that's the formula for, for Tennessee these these next couple of games, if, if they're going to truly compete for a national championship. And uh, Andrew Lindsey has to keep Tennessee's offense in the game, because I would be very surprised if Tennessee's offense put up a five spot on Paul Skeens, and that has nothing to do with Tennessee's offense. It's just Paul Skeens is, is that good. You're not seeing teams do that this year. Like what I said earlier, I think Kentucky's the only team that's done that or that's come close to doing that. So uh, you, you can't expect the offense to to really produce a ton, probably for six or seven innings. Hopefully they can for Tennessee's sake, obviously. The, the, the offense is going to have a much different mindset than than me and internet blogger and podcaster just – Throwing stuff at the wall and and trying to talk coherently about the game, uh, but to me, Andrew Lindsay has to lead the way. Like Andrew Lindsay has to to bounce back from from the start last weekend and uh, and be the guy that he kind of developed into throughout the, the second half of the regular season.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I think he will bounce back. But it's because it's such a perfect spot for him, right? Like all the talk is about Paul Skeens um he had success against that lineup earlier in the year and like i know you don't he won't physically face paul skeens like paul skeens isn't going to be on the mound at the same time as him and he's not going to be in the batter's box but you still kind of go toe to toe with your counterpart um and not to make it about me but some of my i just i some of my best outings were when i was able to use that like when i was I went against Jack Leiter on Saturday Mm -hmm. against Vanderbilt, one of my best starts of my career. Uh, Arkansas on Saturday, the game that Fergie hit the walk-off grand slam. My whole goal going into that game is like, I'm not letting them get the ball to Kevin Copps, right? Because at that point you knew it was over. You want to talk about a dominant pitching season. Um, So I think he can definitely use that as extra motivation and fuel to almost, not that anybody has disrespected Andrew Lindsey, Everybody knows and thinks that he is good. But it's like he's had to sit here and listen to Paul Skeens, Paul Skeens all week. And he's got a perfect opportunity, like Wes said, to go make himself some money and say, no, I'm going to be the better guy on this day. And you don't have to match him pitch for pitch. But if you can try and give us an opportunity and get deep into the game and maybe beat him in terms of length, if Andrew Lindsay's in the game longer than Paul Skeens, I think we win
0: yeah, I, I think that that it comes down to me one of the biggest things in this game is I just talked about Lindsay, but I'll get specific about it. I'd have to go back and look at every start, but it seems to me like Lindsay in in a lot of starts. We've talked about Dolanders kind of rough first innings at times. Lindsay's had a couple uh, first innings where, two or three guys have gotten on. Now, it's not always been his fault, right? Maybe he's he's lost a guy on a borderline pitch. Maybe they're, the past two weeks there's been a swinging bunt each week. What are the odds of that? I mean, just perfectly placed swinging bunts two starts in a row um, in the first inning. But it seems like a couple guys at least have, have usually gotten on base in the first inning. And then he'll either make that that pitch to get that third out, or they'll put something together, put the ball in play, get something going, and take a lead. But then after that, he kind of settles down, and he's really good. And, and it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Dylan Cruz, his his batting average is an outstanding on base percentage. Like that's how good his batting average would be a really good OBP. Like that. That's what kind of hitter this is. You know, you're you're facing him right out of the chute. You know, you're facing you know guys like you know Morgan early on. You're you're facing you know uh, tanks. You're facing some some just really good hitters, and they're gonna be they're gonna be juiced up. They they might get something going in the first inning. If you can get out of that first inning without allowing a run, you can really then maybe settle in and and really kind of shove it. But I think that first inning is going to be really crucial because I I do think. When you combine some of these Tennessee early game struggles on the mound with LSU's lineup and the momentum that bunch has got right now, I think you that's an explosive combination there. So that that's going to come to a head. It would not surprise me at all if Lindsey's got to make two or three or four or five stress, really stressful pitches in that first inning. But if he can make those and get out of it, um, then I think it really kind of settles him down, and, and then it could be a good night because that LSU lineup—it's really good. It is. There's no two ways around it. It's really, really good. And now that the back end of that 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 lineup is producing, you're you're in much more trouble. So I think it'll be interesting that. And then I think if Burns comes into the game, that'll be another interesting storyline because he struggled mightily against LSU when he was up the, the last time. So. You know, I, I think there's a lot of things for me in this game, but it starts with Lindsay in the first inning.
1: Well, I I guess we should back up a little bit. Uh, Tony Vitello didn't 1,000% name Andrew Lindsay the game one starter. I, I think we can go ahead and assume that Andrew Lindsay will start. Uh, he, he was asked at his pre-College World Series press conference uh, yesterday, and he said that um, – we've rolled with what really has got us to this point with Andrew Lindsay first and Dolander second and being third. Burnsy has been incredible out of the bullpen with his stuff and ability to get outs, Uh, but he has kind of changed our team's mentality a little bit too with the emotion he pitches with and having fun out there again as an athlete, but also he gives our guys confidence that the back end of the game is one that we feel like we can win each time we go out. So uh, Tony Vitello didn't, Directly answer the question, Wes, but I, I think that you can take away from that, and and it's something that we've talked about the last couple of weeks on the podcast, and and giving Tony credit for. I, I think you've seen a, a different manager in Tony Vitello these last couple of weeks. I really think he learned a lesson at, at South Carolina when he he pulled Dolander a little bit early because he's he's he and the the staff are maybe were a little too dead set on the. Pre-game plan yes. that that they come up with, and and now they're they're kind of sticking to to, to their guns and, and like having more of a feel for the game. And like we talked about, like if if you need to go to the premium arms out of the bullpen, then go to the premium arms out of the bullpen. So I think it's safe to say that Tony's going to stick with kind of what's been working, not tinker and roll with Andrew Lindsey out there.
0: Yeah, there's no question. I I think that that if you if, if I know he didn't have a great outing last week, he you know he just just it wasn't the worst, but he but he didn't have a great night. But you know, baseball people by and large are creatures of habit and superstitious people at times. And and, and to me, what one of the things that changed Tennessee's season, there was a series of events that changed it, and one of those things was Lindsey going to the Friday night role. So I I, I think that. I don't see any reason for Tennessee to change it up. I mean, Tennessee won the past two weekends with Lindsey going first. Tennessee has won more often than not on weekends where Lindsey has gotten the ball first. Uh, I see no reason because if you do change things up and then things don't go well – you're opening yourself up to a world of criticism if you do something like that. And I don't think that, that that Tony operates out of fear or anything. I don't. But 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 I also think that he's also just a um, sort of a a logical thinker. And, and I think and when it comes down to it, he's an emotional guy, but he's a logical thinker. And I think that there's no reason in the world to not give Lindsay the ball first. He shoved it against LSU last time. He's been really good as your Friday night guy. I see no reason to change it.
2: No, I don't either. And, you know, Southern Mist changed theirs up because their, their guy Tanner Hall really needed that extra day's rest. And we had the weather. Um, I just don't, I'm, I don't really see a reason to switch it up either. And I don't think he does. Um, I don't, I don't really have anything super smart to say there other than the fact that he's, uh, He's the guy that that I see getting the ball tomorrow. And I'm extremely confident and comfortable with that. And, you know, win or lose game one, you feel really good about having Dolander to either avoid elimination or to try to really get yourself in that winner's bracket driver's seat. And then, you know, Drew, Drew Beam is the best third guy to have in the country right now. So uh, I think I think the rotation has just been so good where you have it. Why? Why switch it up?
1: no i I'm I'm completely with you will I mean it's 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 really a an answer that's short sweet and and to the point I mean right now and I'm sure you all both agree with me like Andrew Lindsay has proven to be their their best most consistent pitcher this season uh he, he may not be the guy that gets drafted highest he may not be the guy that plays professionally for the for the longest now I think he's going to have a great Boy,
0: Great I think I think,
1: he, I think he does too. <laughs> yes, I mean he's he's. I'm not saying he's not going to play professionally. I, I I would be surprised if he doesn't make it to the majors. Quite quite frankly, uh, that that kid's makeup and and his stuff and, and his ability. Um, but he, he's 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 not projected to go top ten like Chase Dolander for a reason, or maybe even Chase Burns next year. Uh, but even that aside, like he's still been Tennessee's best, most consistent pitcher. I believe when you look at the season as a whole. So why go away uh, from that? Uh, so Andrew Lindsey, Paul Skeens—that that's going to be a fun matchup on Saturday night in Omaha. We've we've got a couple of other things that we need need to discuss before we get out of here as well, and we'll do that on the other side of this break. Welcome back into the Diamond Balls podcast on goballs 247com I am Ben McKee joined by Wes Rucker and Will Heflin previewing Tennessee's College World Series opener against LSU, 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN on Saturday night. Uh, before we continue our conversation, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. Uh, Will, I, I want to kind of stick with pitching as, as we wrap up Uh, the the back end of this podcast with with our preview. And that's something that Wes talked about earlier. And it was a point that I was going to bring up. Chase Burns is a different dude than the one that LSU saw uh, back at at the beginning of of SEC play. I am, I'm very curious to see how his stuff, if Chase does pitch against LSU uh, because, and I think that'll be a fascinating decision as well. Uh, If it's a, Close game late. If you have the lead late, you go to Camden Sewell. Do you go to Chase Burns? I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Uh, and and I think even Seth Alverson de- deserves a, a piece of that conversation as as well. Um, but again, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Um, but I, I am really curious to see how Chase's stuff uh, pl- plays against this LSU lineup. I mean, it's it's power versus power, uh, and I, I'm real curious to see how that matchup plays out if we see that matchup because there's no doubt about it that this Chase Burns is a significantly different Chase Burns than the one that we saw pitch against LSU earlier this year
2: yeah it's kind of a blessing and a curse for Vitello I guess that's the uh, the situation that you create for yourself when you have so many good options out of the bullpen I'm good with any of the three because you've got two guys that are throwing a hundred with movement and sink and hard sliders all over the place. And then you got Mr. Blithball uh, and Sewell slinging it around. So I'm good with whichever way he goes, but I also do kind of love a redemption story. Um, whether it be Halverson or Burns, neither one of them, um, got the result that they liked or were hoping for in Baton Rouge. Halverson threw pretty well. Um, he, he did have the, the drop on the on the PFP to first base that kind of started that rally um, or or at least would have gotten him out of it unscathed um, so I think he would like another crack at him I also am good with with the uh, with the dragon Trace Chase Burns coming out of there and um, seeing if we can get another 102 or something absurd out of him it it would be kind of crazy if it was like a a tie ball game or one run game and Somebody's on and it's like Burns versus Dylan Cruz. I mean, you want to talk about an elite level situation like that's just that's not a collegiate level baseball matchup right there. I mean, that's all you can ask for. And obviously, you know, if 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 we're down one or tied, I would rather it not be Dylan Cruz at the plate. But if it is. There's not many guys I'd rather have to to bring in to, to go up against him. So, you know, if it were me, I would probably go Burns just because he's kind of been um, tabbed as the main guy when it's all really, really on the line. But we've also seen Vitello go to Halverson first out on these first games and kind of piggyback him with Lindsey. So if he sticks to that, and maybe maybe both of them throw, maybe Halverson gets you through um, – Get you through the middle innings as needed, and then uh, maybe burns those one or two innings late. So I would be cool with that. Um, I think it'll be some sort of recipe or combination of those three. Um, I could even see Aaron Combs coming in and getting another out if needed. Um, I was texting with V earlier in the week just telling him congrats and have a good trip, and I said, man, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but that Aaron Combs out was absolutely massive. And he said, Combsy, that was huge. So. I would like to see something of of that nature, um, kind of like he did against Southern Miss, where he brings in for a matchup to get the ball to Burns.
0: Yeah, I, I that
2: would think be my guess.
0: Yeah, I, I think one of the more interesting, or, or like a, I don't want to say problematic, but if there comes a point where like the game is tied in like the sixth inning, LSU's got two on, two outs, and Cruz comes to bat. In that situation. If you go to Burns, he might not be able to finish the game because he'll be throwing like 102 right out of the chute with like three or four innings to pitch. And you saw at the end of that Southern Miss game that he was a little bit um that that emotion, that 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 petrol that he was throwing early on, well he didn't have quite as much in the tank left in the ninth as normal. So if it's a situation like that you either have to kind of bite the bullet and stick with Lindsay or you'd have to go to Halverson probably in that situation because Halverson uh, is an older guy. He can still throw that gas, but he's also built like a brick crap house and he can handle it physically and he can go get it and – you know, I I think that would be a situation where you'd have to lean on Halverson. But if it's like the seventh or eighth, yeah, then you probably just say go on, go to Burns. But, like, normally Burns can maybe throw you three or four innings if you really needed him to. But I think the way he's throwing right now with that intensity in a high-level game with a really, really, like, top-five caliber opponent, I don't know that you really want him throwing, like, three or four innings because that that velocity, that, that takes it out of you, man, when you go up that high.
2: That's fair, West. but, but yeah. if that situation unfolds the Burns right there, like are you cool in the game or Halverson after Burns? Because here's the thing about Omaha. Yes, it's tournament-style play, but you get a day in between um, each game. It's not like Hoover where you're playing back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Yep. So even if Burns goes 30 or 40, you probably still got him um, – for game two, if needed. Now you get over over forty and get definitely over fifty, then they're probably gonna need more than a day's rest. Mm-hmm. But I think that also plays a part. Um, like the sixth inning is late to me. I think that's definitely could be the turning point in the game. And if you do go to Burns there and he does exactly what you say he does, then I think you can I think you still feel good with what you have left to finish the game because you know, like that type of situation, I I just think when you get to this point, Naha, uh-huh, you don't really plan as much for.
0: Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you 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 don't really plan as much for for that stuff. And I know Will's having a little technical issue there, but we're all good. I think I I know exactly what he's saying though is that you don't have as much time in a situation like this to to plan for all of these contingencies. And I I just wonder like if you go to Burns you don't want to be in that in-between mode where you're not quite sure whether you're going to, you know, and it just seems like that's what always happens, right? Like you always get in that gray area where it's like, Ugh! you know, it's a hard decision to make because you make all these beautiful plans and then uh, something happens that's not really part of it and it, it changes things. But like if you, if you do go with Burns and he does – eventually have to come out of the game, then does LSU think, oh, well, we got their big guy out of the game, or, you know, is that momentum swing? There's all these things that come up, but it's it's a blessing to have someone like Halverson who has proven an ability to go get outs against LSU and could go get anybody. I mean, Halverson could get the ball as a starter in any game and give you seven, eight brilliant innings. Like, that. that's what kind of a competitor and how good physically he is. I, I just wonder, like how you have to manage things, um, you know, with Burns because all of that emotion he comes in with. But if it's a situation where you get to cruise in a moment like that, maybe you say, screw it, here's my best arm. And if he can only give you 30 pitches and he can only pitch it to the sixth and seventh, then you'll have to go to Burns, have a really awkward conversation where you say, hey, uh, I got to take you out of this game. We're going to need you again. I'm sorry. Just deal with it. And he's not going to be happy about it. But he he did the job, which was go get Cruz in a big spot. If that
1: makes well, sense. Well, and 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 that's the new age thinking of of the closer role, right? Like we're no longer as a sport predetermined that the ninth inning is the the determining inning in a in a close game. So many times the the game boils down to to plays in the seventh and the eighth as as well as the ninth. Uh, so I, I I think that's a great point as as well, Wes. Like if, if the game appears to be on the line in the seventh or the eighth, let, let Chase Burns come in and, and get those guys. But I, I do also think that you have nice bridges with Camden Sewell and, and Seth Halverson to get to Burns or even in Aaron Combs. Uh and, and also like if, if Burns does have to come in maybe a little earlier than than they would like, like Cam, Camden and, and Seth Halverson are, are more than capable of, of closing out the the game as as well so tennessee has plenty of options uh this is why you heard dave serrano say that tennessee was going to win the national championship uh and and todd walker uh picked tennessee as his most likely sec team to to win the sec ch- or the, the national championship uh because they have such a a ridiculous amount of of power arms all all throughout its its pitching staff so uh Wes and I, I think another key key storyline uh to, to watching this one, and and Will, it looks like your internet's going a little bit out. So we'll let Wes answer first and, and let you get on down the road a little bit to before you answer. Uh, because I think you'll have great insight on this as well. Yes. Just the the park itself, how how different it plays. Everybody talks about it, but and and I guess we can go straight to Will. it looks like his internet connection is a little more stable now, but Will, how just how different is Omaha and, and Charles Schwab field? It's no longer TD Ameritrade, but does it play as different as everybody makes it out to be from a hitting perspective and producing those power numbers?
2: Not as much as people make it out. It's actually very similar to Hoover, um, where we saw a decent amount of home runs this year from Tennessee and elsewhere uh, around the tournament. I think the gaps are definitely bigger than we're used to, certainly at Lindsey Nelson or, um, or in Hattiesburg or Clemson. But overall, these guys are so physical and the other teams we play are so physical. If a ball gets got, it's gone. Like there's not a park on the planet holding the ball Blake Burke hit the other week, the other weekend. But you know, there's no Lindsey Nelson specials there. Um, if you if you run one out to the bullpens, I think it's like three thirty to the corners, whereas Linton Nelson's three twenty. Like when Semo's when Semo or Griffin Merritt's hitting a ball one hundred and ten miles an hour off the bat, the ten feet doesn't matter. But you know there are some balls that you may square up the other way in the gap that would get out at a traditional college field that may only be a double or a ball that hangs up to dead center that gets caught that maybe isn't. Um, that's banging the batter's eye at Lindsey Nelson, but it's very similar to Hoover. And I just think you, I I didn't hit there and and didn't hit, you know, in Hoover either, but um, I just don't think that changes the approach a ton. I think it actually helps you. If you can, you know, hit some balls in the gap, you may have a little more room to run, maybe stretch a double into a triple or score a guy from first. Whereas um, at our park, if you, you know, play catch on the relay, then they're probably not scoring on, on a ball that's in the gap. Um, so it's a little bit different, but you know, there was, I felt like when, when we were there in 21, it was kind of the first time that we'd hit a lot of home runs and it was a big point of emphasis. It's like, we wouldn't have hit any home runs at Lindsey Nelson that weekend, you know, and for whatever reason, it just, maybe it got to us. Maybe it was just the way it worked out, but, um, I think as a pitcher it helps because maybe a couple balls in the air stay in the yard, um, but as a hitter, you probably shouldn't let it be in the back of your mind at all and just try to stick with the same same approach that you would have um, playing in the backyard or playing in, in Charles Schwab.
0: Yeah, I think it actually, if, if it hurts anybody, it might hurt a power arm more because if you barrel up a power arm, we all know that those power arms you may not, they may not consistently give up as much contact, but when they do, it has a chance to go a little bit uh, farther, right? Like, it's just it, it's. – I'm not good at, like, math and science. That's why I write for a living. But, like, I'm pretty sure uh, if you barrel up a ball that comes in at 100, it's going farther than if you barrel it up and it's coming in at 88. You know what I mean? Like, it, it probably – it's a little different. It's a little different. And, and I think that when you look at the bats that, that LSU's got and the bats Tennessee's got – and, like, the velocity that Skeens and, and Burns and Dolander and Lindsay and those guys all throw with, I don't think it'll matter much in that way. I mean, unless you hit one, like Will said, kind of into the right, you know, kind of alley-to-alley somewhere in that area. It might hold up a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I think there's a chance that you could make the argument that it still plays into the hands maybe of somebody like a Sewell a little bit more a guy who's going to give up, not going to get a ton of strikeouts in a lot of times, but he'll also kind of just miss barrels and do things that he's doing. Maybe it plays into a guy like that if he gets in rhythm and it helps him. But with the 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 velocity that, that these guys are throwing with most of the guys in this game from either side, I don't know how much difference it makes. Um, and, you know, you also the one thing I wanted to mention before I got out of here um, was – you know, you talk about things that are different in this game, and it, it sort of bleeds into what we were just talking about. But it wasn't long ago. Remember, Griffin Merritt got pinch hit for in that in that game. Uh, he was 0-3 three with three strikeouts. And, Ben, you and I were having serious conversations, and, and more of them maybe off the podcast, but definitely some on the podcast too about can this guy, as good as he is most games, can he hit velocity? Can he hit with his bat speed? Can he hit? some of these guys touching upper 90s because he didn't see a lot of it in Cincinnati his bat speed his bat path didn't look like it was going to catch a lot of that stuff Well he's made an adjustment and now he's now he's squaring it up and he's he, he's made like like all good hitters do he's made an adjustment now he's leading this team in home runs and you know that's another big bat that, that Tennessee at that point really didn't have in a matchup like this. Uh, And I think that's something that, you know, if he squares one up against Paul Skeens, it's going a long way uh, if those two things come together. So that's why I think this matchup might be a little bit different. And I think with the arms that are on the mound in this game, I don't know the size of the park plays much of an issue unless it's like turning a homer into a double.
1: Yeah, Wes, I I think that's a great point as as well. I mean, this is a completely different lineup for Tennessee. Because it, it's weird because it had the same guys in the lineup in that first matchup, but guys have just gotten so much better, um, and obviously the order has been shuffled a, a around. Will I, I know you? You'd like to to advise folks to to maybe lay off the the Paul Skeens talk going in into this matchup. Maybe don't provide some some bullets and board material for for Mister Skeens.
2: Yeah. What was it? Barstool LSU got on one of the Vol message boards where...
1: Ours. He, we'll, we'll own up to it. It was it was our Go Vols 24-7 it the was, checkerboard.
2: It was a guy basically saying he was saying he thought Doe Lander was better than Skeens. Skeens wasn't all that. And Barstool LSU he tweets it out. And like, I'm not here to argue who's better between Doe Lander and Skeens. Like, they're both top-level prospects, but just as an ask in general, you don't need to give the other team any more motivation than they already have. Like, we're already in Omaha. Tennessee and LSU already kind of have a, a little mini baseball rivalry because we played them in Supers two years ago, and, you know, we we had a – Seemed like what was a pretty emotional series down there um, this year. Like he just doesn't need any more motivation, you know. And I think if you asked Ainge if if he could go back, would he say that Georgia Stadium wasn't loud this year? Like this is this is why you never hear coaches or players before before a big game, like in the Super Bowl. They they do those interviews and it's all just they're praising the other team, talking about themselves, and kind of being like, "We'll see what happens." And I just think. You know, talk after the game. It's it's really that simple, you know. And and I'm all for I'm all for getting in the fight and you know talking smack. But like, whatever we got to do to keep it from giving the other team motivation, who's already good. And I'm not saying that we need to be scared of them or can't beat them. I just don't think it's a, a logical thing to do. To give any other team bulletin board material there was i actually learned this in high school okay and bear with me because i'm preaching but this is this is important okay we were playing uh severe county high school in football and our best player was our running back ended up playing at wake forest and they had already beaten us once in a year while well, he was doing a interview before playoff time and he said something about there's a new sheriff in town and this This uh, got published in the paper, and Sevier County players got their hands on it, posted it on Twitter, put it on their bulletin boards, and they came out and they smacked us in the mouth. And quite literally smacked him in the mouth because nobody could block him, and every time he got the ball, they were just hitting him in the backfield. And so I learned right there, it's like, they were already good. Why, Why would you ever give another team more determination, more reason to... To have an edge to to go out and beat you, I think I think the smart thing to do is to just lay low and talk after the game, and that's my that's my only you know, I can't put it any more blunt than that. So that's my that's my sermon for the day. Take with it what you will, but man, I just don't get that. I just don't get that
1: at all.
0: Yeah, I wonder. There's like ninety nine percent of me, and I, and I really mean this that that completely agrees with everything that Will just said, because when in doubt, why potentially make the job easier for your opponent in any way? Um, but And then there's times where I go back to early in my career, football coach I covered, not at Tennessee, who was talking about, you know, I was talking to him about bulletin board stuff, just kind of off the record, yada, yada. This guy said this, the guy from the other team said this, yada, yada. It was a big week. And he said, you know, what? I'm going to tell you something, man. I've been coaching long enough to know that when stuff like that happens, it's going to affect the opening kickoff quite a bit. You know, you're going to have some guys out there foaming at the mouth to come hit our guys, or we're going to want to go hit their guys. And, like, it, it matters for, like, the first minute of the game. He goes, then there's the other 59 minutes of the game, and the team that plays better is going to win. He goes, I think the bulletin board stuff, he goes, I think it affects. And he goes, I'll say, I won't say this on the record because I'm not an idiot because I don't want this blowing up in my face. You know, he said, but I think that that stuff matters at the opening kickoff, and then it doesn't matter. Um, but you know, at the same time, why would you err on the side of making the job easier for an opponent? So yeah, just, just be smart probably would be the wise bet, but also like, you know, if you're going to get to schemes, you're going to get to them. If you're not, you're not. And so the only, you run the risk of just writing a, a you know, writing a check that, that your guys can't cash, but that might not have anything to do with the fact that you said it, but you're still going to be the one who looks stupid afterward. So
2: yeah, maybe, maybe I'm just more petty than that coach, man. Like I would not, I would not forget that. Like I remember, and this was one of our own dang fans said something about me only going like four innings in 2021. And they're like, yeah, Heflin's only good for four innings. And I was like, well, first of all, I haven't, I've been a starter for all of like two weeks. So maybe, (laughs) you know, pump the brakes there. The next outing, I went seven innings and I was kind of thinking about that guy once I got to like the fifth and the sixth. So maybe, maybe I'm just
0: petty. There you go. And I hold grudges.
2: But you know, I just, I just don't think we need to give Paul Skeens any more uh, fuel than he will already have. And I would say the exact same thing for, for LSU. They don't need to talk about like for Simo. they don't need to say anything to give our guys extra determination. Um, And I, I don't get on Twitter all that often. So I, I don't know, you know, what the, what the Twitter beef has looked like this week, but you know, two two very passionate fan bases. I would imagine there's at least some threads that would be interesting to read um, and maybe give a But, yeah, I just think, you know, maybe I'm just petty. But I, I wouldn't let stuff like that uh, – I wouldn't let them live it down.
1: Nothing wrong no. with being petty. Wes and I are both petty, especially Wes. Wes, is, Wes isn't even petty. He, I mean, he holds grudges. Vin- that, that, that's I, I, boring.
0: I can be vindictive. A little No, so you
1: are vindictive. A
0: little bit, like I, it runs in the Rucker blood. I can't help it. But
1: we—you can't we, help it. We don't
0: forget things. We don't forget things.
1: I, I'm the same way. I'm. I'm very. I'm very petty as well in that sense. If, if somebody says something about me, I, I don't forget it. Now, I, no, I now for- if,
0: if nobody gives me a reason, then 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 it's nothing but love, no matter who you are. But once a line is crossed, it's hard to uncross it.
1: You don't uncross it. It's not hard to uncross. You don't uncross it. Correct. Uh, I see my thing is I forgive but I don't forget I forgive but I do not <laughs> forget uh that that's kind of my my thinking so I, i'm I'm with you on that Heflin uh before we get out of here any predictions in, in terms of who who's gonna make it to to the finals uh i'm I'm thinking if if I'm being honest Tennessee fans won't like this uh, i'm I'm thinking uh Florida and Wake Forest uh, are my picks to, to come out of each side of, of the bracket. Uh, what what are y'all taking? What what are y'all rolling with? I
0: think probably I, – I do believe in that number one seed curse. So as good as I think Wake is, I don't know that it will be Wake just for whatever reason. Uh, I think Florida – I don't completely trust their pitching staff, but I trust it more than – you know they have much more talent than 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 they consistently produce uh, on the field, but but when they're good, they're very very good. And, and I think I'm gonna go Florida, and then mm. I'm I'm gonna say LSU. I think it's gonna be an SEC on SEC uh, matchup probably for the title, but that's just a guess. I mean, any of the eight teams there could get there the way they're playing. I said last week that uh, a couple of friends I know or people I know who are in the Oregon program. Said Oral Roberts was the best team they'd seen all year. So, I, I mean, I any of those teams could
1: could make it. I'll probably. They also play in the Pac-12. Uh,
0: yeah, they do. But I mean, you know, there's some decent teams out there. Usually, I mean, Stanford. There's some other teams out there that that, that are that are good teams. So, um, yeah, I think probably if I had to guess, Florida LSU. But that's because I think once Flor once LSU, if LSU with Skeens can win that first game then it can kind of put itself in a position where you got a really good chance to get to um, the, 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 the final. So that's, that's my guess.
2: Yeah, I'm going TCU on the other bracket. Ooh. They're the hottest team nice. uh, in the country right now. I picked them actually before the Arkansas Regional. So I guess I have to ride that. Um, and then the winner of our game. The winner Ooh, of our game. I, was like I believe in the in the one seed. I believe I the one seed curse is real to me until it's broken. Yeah. And if Wake breaks it, then I'll be like, Yeah, probably, you know, should have taken that. Uh we're gonna we're gonna hold off on predicting a one seed until we see it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you for sure. It's just I, I think Wake Forest is the most complete team on its side of the bracket. And I think Florida is the most complete team on its side of the bracket. That that's my my simple thinking. Uh now I do think that Tennessee is a more complete team than LSU. The problem is, like I said earlier, you're playing a one game series and it's baseball. Anything can happen. I'm not I'm not sitting here trying to say that Tennessee doesn't have a chance. Uh but I, I do think LSU wins the game if I'm being honest, just simply because of of Paul Schemes. Like their star power with Paul Skeens and Tommy White and Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan and Tennessee has star power. I'm not saying that they don't, but uh, I, I I think that that Paul Skeens probably leads LSU to a victory. And uh, I, I think Wake Forest would would get the best of LSU because at that point, Wake Forest would be facing not Paul Skeens. Uh, so I, I think it's more of an unfortunate draw for Tennessee than a, a Tennessee issue. Uh, if that makes sense, but hey, uh, if if Tennessee is able to get past LSU again, I, I think Tennessee is a more complete team than LSU and, and would be uh, more of a contender to to make a longer run in Omaha, if, if that makes sense. Uh, so if if they can and look, even if Tennessee loses to LSU and and they play a, I think they'll play Stanford because again, I think Wake Forest wins, but. I think Tennessee would beat Stanford, and, and who knows? Maybe Tennessee would get a rematch in an elimination game with LSU, and, and you're not facing Paul Skeens, uh, and, and then uh, the more complete team wins. So that, that's just my simple thinking is that Wake Forest is the most complete team uh, on its side of the bracket, and, and Florida's the most complete team on its side. Uh, and I think those two two teams will will link it up. And, <laughs> I, and I think Wake Forest will win that game. So I'll, I'll go all out and say the, the number one seed wins wins the whole thing this week. I'd be interested
0: to see what what Stanford's sort of pitching plans are, um, because if Tennessee if Tennessee ends up playing if 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 Tennessee ends up playing Stanford in game two, uh, is that when Mister One Hundred Ninety Seven Thousand Pitch Guy will be going because they're giving him an extra day off after throwing One Hundred Ninety Seven Thousand pitches against Texas? I mean, you know, because he's a lefty who's. Can crafty can move the ball around a lot and spin it. You know that that would be a challenging matchup if he's the one who goes in that game. I don't know if they're throwing him in game one or not. That would seem to be a quick turnaround, but with that many pitches. But at this point, he's like what a fifth or sixth year senior. He's like, screw it, I can do this. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's fascinating in a lot of ways because that matchup uh, going into uh, in, into just no matter who you get like that force I'd rather be on I'd rather be on the other side of the bracket than Tennessee side of the bracket if I'm Tennessee uh, as good as the other side of the bracket is I think yeah, you got wake you got skeens you got a kind of a dangerous Stanford team both sides are tough but I, I think Tennessee side is slightly tougher um but yeah I'd be interested to see what Stanford's pitching plans are and I don't know what they are but I'm I'm interested to go look maybe I'll do that at the airport
2: yeah I think uh Quinn Matthews would Probably, probably put tomorrow just because they were him on game three against Texas. Yeah. They, were, they were laughing. He was like, nah, I mean, they, they were not. Um, he, was, he was certainly saying he was good to go, um, whether that was true or not. So, I think, you know, on Saturday, I think he'll probably go. For, for Stanford, and then Rhett Louder, um, who is, for some reason, the quietest 15-0 guy uh, in Omaha, will probably go for Wake. Yeah. So, it would be interesting to see, um, you know, what, what draw we get, win or lose, and, you know, the outcome of that game. But when you get to this time of year, it's really fun to, to kind of think ahead and see, see what else is going on because of that tournament style is what makes Omaha so fun.
1: It certainly is. It, it's going to be a fun week, and Wes and I will both be in Omaha for for live coverage, and and we'll certainly be back with some post game podcasts as well. Will appreciate you weathering uh, the the roadstorm here with us and, and battling uh, the the internet and and service along the way. And shout out to to your. the the person riding with you who had to suffer and listen to Wes and I for, for almost an hour. So appreciate you, my friend and and safe travels and and go win you some ball games this weekend.
2: Yeah. It's my little brother. I brought some extra firepower with me this weekend for, uh, for the 17U version of Paul Skeens and Andrew Lindsay. So we'll, we'll uh, see how that goes, but thanks guys. I enjoyed it. Uh, Go Vols.
1: And and making little brother listen to the Wes and I is, is proper torture. Uh, in my opinion, Wes. Safe travels uh, to Omaha. Excited to to bring some college World Series coverage to Go boss twenty four seven with you. Yeah,
0: let's just hope I put the right things in the suitcase. That that's the challenge for the next little bit here.
1: Yeah, you you did not do that going to to New York for the NCAA yep. basketball. Mistakes so were
0: made. There. Mistakes were made. What are you going to do? No one's perfect, right?
1: Don't take your Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, look, he's wearing Arkansas colors right now. I I'm mean, wearing
0: a red shirt because I won't be able to wear it for while I'm in Omaha, so I wore it today. You're welcome.
1: You could literally go red shirt. tomorrow.
0: Uh, I could. I usually just wear black; it's the safest.
1: That that's that's a that's a fair point. He, and, he and, is, and when
0: you cover the SEC, well, you can wear green in any press box. Fun fact
1: this is true this is true uh, he is the one and only Wes Rucker and for Will Hefflin, I am Ben McKee this has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com
0: there's that button and now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go 247 24-7 podcast we always say that but we always mean it thank you Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Westrucker 24 7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24 7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24 7. answering any question that you've got, and You get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies, you get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That—that That is so much stuff, so much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.